Hello and welcome back to the Space News Podcast. My name is Will and there's some stuff going on with an asteroid that might collide with the Earth on February 1st of 2019. That's a couple days away. I don't want to scare anybody, but ooh, the shocking truth is coming out today. But before that shocking truth hits the world, just like an asteroid collision could do, I want to say thank you to all the space cadets out there that have been listening to the podcast since day one. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for telling your friends. Thank you for leaving comments, leaving suggestions on iTunes. I really appreciate the five star reviews on iTunes are really awesome. Spotify as well. Thank you, everybody, for all of your support. And if you want to support the podcast even more, you can go to patreon.com slash space news podcast and monetarily uh, help out the podcast because I want to do some traveling and get down to Cape Canaveral at NASA headquarters and uh, do some live streams from there. And your generous contributions will help me bring you the newest and most awesome space news on a daily basis. Uh, so there's an asteroid. It's called 2002 NT7, and it had a small chance of impacting our Mother Earth in 2019. And the probability of it hitting the Earth is 1 in 100,000. A very low risk. And now, based on the data that we currently have, the asteroid will not collide with Earth within the foreseeable future. On January 15th of 2099, it will be 0.37 AUs from Earth, which is more than 100 times the distance to the moon. And that is the closest distance that it will come until 2199. Now, that doesn't mean this asteroid isn't dangerous, right? This asteroid is pretty big and astronomers believe it should be closely monitored. The asteroid is near the lower end of the size range that could actually cause a global disaster if it hit the Earth. And in addition to immediately causing tremendous damage wherever it impacted, an asteroid strike of this size would throw a huge amount of dust into the atmosphere, which could block out sunlight possibly for several years at a time. And we call this, um, we call it impact winter. It's similar to a nuclear winter, which would follow a large nuclear war. And the lack of sunlight would kill most of the plant life on Earth for humans, eat famines. Even extinction is possible if this asteroid were to hit the Earth. Now, it's not going to hit the Earth. I just want to let you know that it's not going to hit the Earth. There's a lot of YouTube videos out there on 2002 NT7. And if you watch them, all of their math is absolutely wrong. All of their math is absolutely wrong. It's not going to hit the Earth. So that being said, don't freak out. Don't wig out, man. This thing is not going to hit us. The top known impact risks of asteroids, asteroid impact risks, is 2009 FD which is a diameter of about half a kilometer. It has one in 340 chance of striking the Earth in 2185 or even later than that. And then Bennu, which has been on the news lately, and it's about half a kilometer diameter and has one chance in 2700 and hurting in hitting the Earth in 2175. It also hurt the Earth, but it would hit the Earth as well. 
And so there's a probe at Bennu now. It's called Osiris Rex. And we have images of Osiris Rex on Bennu. Um, and it's studying what this thing is made out of, the composition of the asteroid. And due to this composition, um, due to what kind of science we get from this thing, we're going to find out how to fight asteroids as well. Like this, these missions aren't just for science and to figure out what happened in the early um, times of our solar system. These are for defense measures in the future as well. So as much as, you know, we want to, I, I love science. I absolutely love science and engineering. Um, I would like to think that if this science is used for just science, that is amazing. But also, if Bennu gets closer to the Earth and we're like, oh, man, we got to fight this thing off somehow, we need to know what it's made out of. And therefore, we can take like particular measures in order to get it away from us or blow it up or, you know, shove it off to the side and make it go away from Earth when it comes closer. And Bennu's not even going to be here until 2175. And it has a 1 in 2700 uh, chance of hitting us. So that being said, we have a lot of time before anything actually happens. If it actually, if it does, you know, like it's not going to happen. It's probably not going to happen. Space is huge. Space is huge. I just want to reiterate that space is gigantic. So there's like such a slight chance of something like this happening. I want to go back to these YouTube videos and other stories that you may have seen around the web. Um, Be very skeptical of them because they like to play up the risks, clickbait titles, clickbait in the video. They want to make drama. They want to make these things so um, so they get more clicks. They make more money, man. That's all there is to it. These articles in these videos that are um, conspiracy theorists, they're out there to make money, too. You know, like I make this podcast and I try not to put ads in it as much as possible. And that's where the Patreon comes in. I don't want to put ads in the in the podcast because I don't want to. I don't want to go down that road and I never will. I'll never go down the road of clickbaity titles. And um, the fact that these other articles out there and these other YouTube videos and Instagrams and stuff about these, uh, they make these titles and they make them scary because we're all afraid of an asteroid hitting the Earth. And we're all afraid of extinction. So, of course, they're going to get clicks on them if, um, you know, if it's scary to us. So that's just it's I'm putting it out there, man. If these people want to make money, that's how they do it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So if you want more information about this asteroid, the um, 2002 NT7 asteroid, you can go to Cornell.edu. Cornell has an amazing astronomy program, and there's no reason why they would put out, quote, fake news about this asteroid. I mean, there's whole articles about it, uh, numerous, numerous articles on the web, but something like, you know, Cornell, they have no bias they're scientists, man. So go check those guys out. Don't look for clickbait, clickbait, 
podcasts or clickbait YouTube videos or clickbait blogs. Anything like that, anything from a news source, go to the scientists themselves. Uh, Cornell, eat.edu. Um, you can search for um, 2002 NT7 Cornell on Google and you'll get as much information as you'll ever need about this. Like, here's an article from the dailystar.co.uk. NASA killer asteroid cover-up as 60,000 mile per hour space rock due to hit Earth next month. NASA is trying to cover up a massive killer asteroid that could come crashing into Earth within months, at least according to conspiracy theorists. All right, I get it. I get it. The Daily Star. You're not science. You're not you're not a reputable news source. I know, but these are the things that you have to look out for when you're looking into the media and, you know, what what they offer. So do some research. You'll find out that it's not actually going to hit us. Let's get away from these weirdo conspiracy theorists and all these dooms doomsayers doomsayers. I think that's a good one. A doomsayer. Uh, let's get into something more rational. Let's get into some ESA astronauts and how they're working on um, working while well, they're working on working on the moon. Um, they're trying to figure out best possible solutions for astronauts to walk and work on the moon. So they have a vertical treadmill. Um, it goes up and an astronaut stands sideways on it and they run, they hop and they they do the things that you would do on the moon on this treadmill in order to learn how to work on the moon. And um, a representative from ESA said, we believe jumping and hopping on the moon may provide forces similar to walking and running on Earth. This would allow astronauts to maintain their bone and muscle condition through everyday movement. This may reduce the need for training equipment, such as on the space station, and it is something we hope to explore further. So they're exploring it further, but right now the current rig doesn't allow the subjects, these testers, to make awesome jumps, like the footage from the moon, how you see people kind of float when they jump. Um, it's not possible yet. And the next step will be to move the study to Houston, where the Argo system will allow a greater range of movement and a better understanding of the forces encountered by the bones, muscles, and tendons in low gravity. And the hope is to eventually build a similar system in Europe called the Luna 2 to help train ESA astronauts for future manned lunar missions. And they're not just training them to run and hop and glide and do all those cool stunts. Um, ESA is training a new generation of astronauts to work as well, not just do the cool stuff. And based on findings from NASA's Apollo missions, New explorers are using simulated moonwalks in Spain to test a range of advanced electronic aids, new geological tools, and improved scientific protocols to make lunar excursions safer and more efficient. So NASA used to do this for the Apollo programs, right? They had on-Earth missions that future astronauts would do in order to get ready for embarking on the moon. Right. So ESA established its Pangea X campaign that does something very similar. And the purpose of the campaign is to combine space exploration, high tech survey equipment and geology into one. So astronauts will know what to do when they get on the moon. This is like a dry run. This is a test run for these guys. This is how they train. And what's cool about it is that they're bringing in geologists and engineers and other people of that sort 
in a volcanic area that simulates the moon lunar surface. Part of this program, part of the study, uh, it requires the astronauts to be to work in pressure suits similar to those worn by Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, and this will allow the engineers to test new ideas and prototypes in the confined movements of spacesuit and not being able to kneel down or bend over and, you know, how to work with pressurized gloves. Using the actual suits in the field isn't always practical. Like, you can't just send somebody to the moon and say, hey, man, use this pressurized spacesuit that you've never used before. This is, you know, we've used it on Earth, so it's going to be a little bit different than the moon. That's why they're doing this. You can't just send somebody to the moon without any sort of uh, training. And another cool thing is that these spacesuits that are worn by these uh, testers in this volcanic area, they have cameras all over them. And they'll provide mission control with 360 degree panoramas, close ups and microscopic images. And in addition to that, the controllers have an electronic field book that allows them to call up relevant data and is described as an all in one easy to use plug and play device. It's kind of like um, it's, it's it's pretty much an iPad. <laughs> it's pretty much an iPad. I mean, it's a really rugged, cool iPad that they use. Samuel Paler, who is an European astronaut center in Cologne, Germany. He's a fellow there. He said the next generation of lunar explorers will be trained in relevant scientific disciplines, but there will always be more expertise on Earth. And the challenge is to have this expertise transmitted to the astronauts during a moonwalk to make the best decisions based on science. Sharing data in real time, including images and video, is an essential part of this. So basically, uh, it's like having Wikipedia, having a human that knows their stuff on Earth, and also being able to FaceTime these people at the same time, being able to Skype them, say, hey, look at this cool rock that I found. What do you think it is? A geologist back on Earth could say, that's XYZ. This is cool. You should grab that and bring it back to Earth. Or say there's a medical situation up there. They can call back to Earth with these um, notebooks, basically, and say, hey, this guy's hurt. This person's hurt. I need some help. What do I do? So the technology is really awesome. And I'm really glad that we're making these steps forward. And ESA's taken these steps to get this technology in the hands of people that actually need it. So in theory, you could have 20 to 30 people who are experts in certain fields down here at Mission Control. And you could have a few astronauts up on the moon. And they could be doing the science up on the moon. They could be showing the scientists down here and the engineers down here what's going on. And just calling back and forth, going like, hey, man, what's this thing? Hey, what do I do now? You know, of course, they're trained before they go up there, but they may not be trained in a certain aspect of the mission. So cool science coming up from ESA. Um, now, that's about it for today, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the pod. Um, this has been the Space News. My name is Will. Remember to check out Patreon at patreon.com slash Space News Podcast and also spacenewspodcast.com and follow us on um, Facebook at Space News Pod. Thanks again, everyone, and I will see you soon.